event. Not just a word, but a noun. It's a description of one who doesn't see things as others do. One who doesn't seek the gratification that society sees as normal. Being a deviant isn't always a bad thing, as thinking outside the box does have its advantages. But for the deviants that we'll talk about, well, they far exceed any type of what one would consider normal. In fact, they have become so thickly weaved in society today that it seems like we can't go a day without finding another deviant doing something that tops everything we've seen so far. I'm talking about those who do some of the most outlandish things that defies any and all logic. You know the type. We see it every day. Come with me and we'll keep an eye out as the world circles the drain with deviants. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley and this is The Deviant Report. Welcome folks to The Deviant Report. Keeping an eye out as the world circles the drain with deviants. Folks, this one only fits because of the pure boneheaded way things played out. That aside from the fact that the idea of genocide is just plain deviant to start with. But on June 25, 1876, Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer rolled into a hill over the looking the Little Bighorn River Valley where he found Native Americans living peacefully along the river. In 1875, after gold was discovered in South Dakota's Black Hills, the U.S. Army immediately forgot about all the previous treaty agreements made with the Native Americans, took their lily-white sails over, and invaded the place, running off all the people from the promised land. The Sioux and Cheyenne tribesmen that lived there soon joined Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse in Montana. By the late spring of 1876, Native Americans had gathered at a camp along the Little Bighorn River, which they called the Greasy Grass, in defiance of the U.S. War Department's order to return to the reservations or risk being attacked. Of course, that's what they did. The government can't ever let well enough alone. We all know that. Apparently, these peaceful people who were living their lives there after being uprooted and ran off by the fork-tongued white man were making the deviant Custer mad by going about their business and not bothering a soul. He sent a small recon recon force down to see the who, what, where, and when of the whole situation at hand, and when his men came back, he tallied up the scorecards and decided that he could just run down there, wipe those poor people out, and be eating supper in a couple hours. What he didn't know was that the men he sent to estimate the forces had apparently failed math class and caused him to grossly underestimate the fighting force of Crazy Horse and a sitting bull. Apparently they must not have carried a one somewhere or had a decimal place off or something. So on the morning of June 25th, Lieutenant Custer, now having a gut full of peace and dressed up all in his favorite massacre suit with his hat turned up on one side and a fresh ostrich plume stuck in the brim, hauled his forces down closer to the camp and prepared to massacre the poor people. At midday, Custer's 600 men entered the Little Bighorn Valley like they owned the place. Among the Native Americans, word spread quickly of the impending attack. The older sitting bull rallied the warriors and saw to the safety of the women and children, while Crazy Horse, you know, being Crazy Horse and all, set off with a large force to meet the attackers head on. 
Despite Custer's desperate attempts to regroup his men, whom he'd split up into smaller forces, they were completely overwhelmed by the sheer number of the Native American warriors. Custer had some 200 men in his battalion who were going to be the ones to attack head-on into the camp as the other forces encircled and flanked everybody trying to run and were attacked first by as many as 3,000 Native Americans, followed by, and went within the hour, by another 7,000 to mop up the rest of the job. Custer and every last one of his soldiers who followed him down there were shot, beaten, hacked, gouged, and yes, even scalped, a practice which was learnt from the white men themselves. Not, not a one of them who entered the battle survived. Lesson learned, folks. Never mess with a bunch of peaceful people who just want to be left alone. Those are the ones who cut fence and stack bodies when dragged into conflict. The curious case of the community commode clogger in Sheboygan, Wisconsin has been cracked. Police announced that over an 18-month period, some warped deviant was getting his rocks off by clogging toilets at the Deland Community Center. The unsub had been cramming 20-ounce plastic bottles so deeply into the bottom of the commodes that they couldn't be seen. Then I guess would stand around like a pyromaniac does a fire waiting for the fire trucks, and I guess he was actually waiting for the roto-rooter trucks, all the while laughing himself sick over it as the brown water rushed under the bathroom door. 26-year-old Patrick Beeman was tracked down and arrested by way of a temp agency he worked for and charged with multiple counts of criminal damage to property, which is a misdemeanor. A manager at the temp agency told police that Mr. Beeman had backed up the toilets at a job placement last summer and was moved to another company for work where the deviant did it again. They heard about the serial clogger and called the police. Mr. Beeman said that he got very strong urges to pull bottles out of the trash cans and cram them into the bottom of toilets just to plug them up, but that he stopped the behavior when he heard police were looking for a serial clogger. Now see there, some of these deviants can control themselves when they think they might get caught. Patrick Beeman pleaded guilty to and was sentenced to 150 days in jail for the crime. He'll also be on probation for three months and must pay more than $5,500 in Roto-Rooter restitution. I need to make a few things right and pray for forgiveness every day, the deviant said in court. He'll be participating in a program that allows him to go to work during the day, and then he'll spend the rest of the time in jail. And nobody sees a problem with that, especially, believe it or not, now that he's working for a company that cleans toilets, for the love of Mike. I'm not done yet. I'll be right back. You're listening to The Deviant Report with Larry Bentley. Now, since we happen to be on the subject of toilets, a man is going to trial over flushing a toilet. Now, there may be a tad more to it than that. Thomas Wells of Pittsburgh had been living with his mother when he realized that all the deviant wanted to do was lay around, smoke pot, drink, and watch his stories, which is not a bad gig, I guess, if you can get it. After reaching the done-with-her-son level on her Thomas Wells meter, his mother told him to GTFO, just get out. That's when the 
33-year-old deviant waited for her to go back to work and went into his mom's bedroom, grabbed both of his now-deceased grandparents' urns filled with their ashes, dumped them in the toilet, and flushed them both, well, both grandparents right down the tubes. Then took a half a dump in each urn, tightened the lids back, and returned them to their place in the room. All out of pure spite. It wasn't until about six months later that his mother, Denise Porter, learned through a relative that the dead head on the mop stick had actually done. And the ashes were part of a bedroom memorial that she had set up to honor her parents. That's when she called the police. The police tracked down the deviant, and after seeing them coming to get him, he sent a text to his mother reading, Yep, I flushed him, and as soon as you die, you'll be in the shitter too. He finished the message just as the police pounced on him and arrested him. He was then taken downtown and ordered held for trial in two counts of abuse of a corpse and one count of criminal mischief. He still sits in jail awaiting trial date because, in spite of it always begging, his mother refuses to bail him out. A couple desecrated a Ferris wheel. One of them managers in a 150-foot high observation Ferris wheel, which is by the way, the largest portable Ferris wheel in the world saw a couple having sex as their glass closed in gondola past them at ground level. That's when somebody called the police. When cops who were already nearby patrolling the carnival arrived, they observed the couple as they passed by and saw the woman with her naked upper body pressed against the glass. The couple then actually made eye contact with the officer and the male deviant gave him a wink after never missing the beat as they kept getting it all in full view of the kids and everybody else standing there in total shock. They must have been in such shock that nobody thought to turn the ride off and drag them out because it continued in all of the crowd for a couple more laps. Or maybe they just wanted to let them finish, who knows. Cops say that instead of simply taking in the view from the Cincinnati Sky Star Ferris wheel on Thursday evening, the two deviants got completely jiggy during the ride. The ride was finally stopped and Michael Matheson, 30, and Laura Wilder, 31, were dragged off as they were slipping their clothes back on and detained by police who were hired to, for crowd control in anticipation of just such a thing. Ms. Wilder was arrested for disorderly conduct and released on her own recognizance that very evening. Mr. Matheson was also arrested for disorderly conduct while intoxicated and released the next day after they let him sleep it off. Cops say that they think the accused weren't thinking right because it was a festive day in a festive environment. Nowadays, they're probably lucky that that's the only thing the deviants did. At least they weren't burning, looting, or blowing anything up. <sighs> what in the world is wrong with people, folks? Again, I ask, deviants, what are we going to do with them? I hope you've enjoyed hearing the Deviant Report today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to follow us, please. Of course, you'll be following Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend to get the Deviant Report, which runs along with all the other podcasts we do. If you'd like even more episodes of both of these podcasts and access to the Deviant Report, which comes out as I collect enough stories to make an episode, Consider becoming a subscriber for $1.99 a month for ep extra episodes of all three podcasts. Just jog on over to Anchor.fm or Spotify and they'll fix you right up. Please join us on Facebook group or uh, Twitter, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend podcast, where we can discuss anything Appalachian 
anything from the world, anything deviant, or anything else you want to talk about. But I'll be back real soon with another deviant report. And I'll see you then. Thank you.